Father, we love you, and we thank you for who you are. Uh, We just pray, God, that you would have your way in our hearts, and we open our hearts to you and just ask you to have your way, um, that you would speak to us. And Father, we just, we're so honored that we get to be here in a free nation today, freely hearing the good news about Jesus. In your awesome name, somebody say a loud, rowdy amen. Amen. Let's go. Loud, rowdy, amen. You did good. I'm impressed. Well, hey, listen, today uh, we're in week two of a series that we're calling Make Room. Somebody say make room. Man, the Christmas season is just, it's on us. It's like, it is in full force. And uh, man, if you're still trying to buy Christmas presents, God bless you. I apologize for that because it's just, the struggle is real. And uh, man, it's, it's violent out there in those malls. And, uh, you know, the streets of Walmart, man, it's like, you got to go packing. Thank God you're in Texas. You know what I mean? No, I'm just joking. <laughs> totally joking. Um, but uh, I'll tell you, in, in the midst of such a, a fun season, an exciting season, how many of you know that we could still look around our world and, and we can look into the lives of our friends and family and people are struggling. There's still suffering going on. And, and honestly, when we look around the world, uh, outside of the U.S. and even in some of the most hurting places of the U.S., man, the world is struggling. And um, how many know that it's important for us during this season to not be distracted um, by all the things Sometimes to even be distracted by our own suffering, um, to be distracted by all of the fanfare of Christmas. And it's important that we make sure to move slow in this season so that we can make room for Jesus. So that's why we have called this series Make Room. We're looking at Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And, you know, it's so crazy, but this passage was written hundreds of years ago. And when it was written, there was political strife for the people of Israel, the divided kingdom, and there was spiritual decline. And and it's so crazy, but um, there are a lot of things that were similar in the time that they lived than the time that we're living today. So many things are very much to the same. You know, the people of God were divided and they were unfaithful to God and it led to a lot of chaos. So let's check out uh, what God says, the hope that he brings in the midst of their chaos, in the midst of their unfaithfulness and their struggle. Here's what it says, Isaiah chapter nine, verse number six. It says, for a child is born to us, a son is given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. What is Isaiah saying to us? Well, Isaiah is foretelling the birth of Christ in this passage. In fact, he's describing a time where uh, in the Bible it described that kings would come and, and they would govern, and they would govern well, and, and the power of governing rested upon their shoulders. And a good king would come and, and bring liberation to a people. And so he was saying that Jesus is coming, and here's how you're going to know how he's going to act and what he's going to be like. He's going to come as a king. He's going to come as a liberator. And then he gives us some clues as to the type of character and the type of attributes that the king is going to have. And the passage continues and it says, and he will be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Today we're going to be talking about making room for the mighty God. Somebody say mighty God. Now, I don't know about you, but for the people of this time, this was some incredible good news for them that a mighty God was coming and 
And I got to tell you, it's incredibly good news for me, and it's good news for you that God declared to the world back then that a mighty God is coming. You know, the word mighty actually means that, that he has strength that is enormous. In fact, it's so enormous that it's unmeasurable. Can you imagine that? Any, any science nerds in the house like to measure things? This is an unmeasurable amount of strength. He is enormously strong. And so what's Isaiah saying? What's kind of the big idea? I think here's what Isaiah is saying. He's saying, hey, world, hey, hey, my divided kingdom, hey, people who are going to be living in the 2000s, I want you to know this. I want to set the record straight that the mighty God, he's on your side. (laughs) Did you know that? Some of you think the mighty God is against you. In fact, the mighty God is on your side. In fact, he's coming to, to fight for you. He's, he's coming to swing for the fences for you. He's, he's coming in your darkness to bring lightness to you. In fact, Isaiah earlier in chapter 9 says that joy and that light is going to be coming to the world. And, and some of you have been so closed off in your, in your understanding of God and maybe even in your own relationship with him as a believer because you are unsure of what the mighty God is going to do to you when he comes face to face with you. But I want you to know that he's coming to fight on your side. How many know that's some really good news? See, he rules with strength that is so enormous. There's nothing that is a match for him. And and here's the question for you today. The question is this. Is there something in your life that is simply too powerful for you? Just think about that for just a moment. Is there something in your life that is just too powerful for you? You're, you're too weak to overcome it. You, you can't conquer it. No, no matter how hard you try to, to dominate and navigate and rule and govern your own world, it's just too difficult for you. And I want you to know that the mighty God has come to take care of that for you because he knew that you couldn't deal with it on your own. You know, You might need a mighty God to come and intervene in your financial situation or maybe in your health or your marriage. You might need a mighty God to come and intervene in a broken career or some mess up relationships. You might need a mighty God to come and help you navigate through some soul crushing things. But here's what I know. At the end of the day, if you don't know Jesus, as your personal Lord and Savior, and that if he is not your mighty God, all of those like little things in your life that you want fixed are actually quite insignificant to what he really wants to do for you as your Savior. So today, as we're talking about the Christ of Christmas, I believe that scripture is asking us today to make room for the mighty God as our Savior you know, it's interesting as we look at this passage um, in Isaiah, if we fast forward some 700-ish, did you hear the word ish, some 700-ish years, we see that angels arrive to some shepherds and, and they're coming 700 years later to announce the arrival of this, this coming son, this, this baby. And we see it in Luke chapter 2, verse 10 and 11. And And here's what the scripture says. It says this. It says, but the angel reassured them. How many know when an angel shows up, it's kind of scary. 
And so he had to let him know, like, hey, don't worry. I'm not coming to kill you. You know, don't be afraid. He said, I come to bring you good news, good news that will bring great joy. The news that you heard about 700 years ago when the prophet Isaiah spoke on behalf of God and said, hey, a son is coming. I just want you to know that I'm bringing good news to all the people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. So here we have unfolding right before our eyes the prophecy of Isaiah 700 years later as we're reading through the New Testament. How many know the pages of the Bible just unfold themselves in such a beautiful way? And they always explain themselves really well because if you stopped at Isaiah, you, you would almost go, well, kind of who is this wonderful counselor and what, what is he going to be like and, and what's his life going to look like? We'll just keep reading through the scriptures and it and beautifully unfolds for us and, and foretells the birth of our mighty God. And it's so interesting to me that with the news that the shepherds received, that they stopped everything that they were doing to make room for him. They pivoted course and they headed to Bethlehem like our kids told us about. And they went to make room for his birth in their life. You know, we might have a lot of things that we want the mighty God to do for us. We want to make room for him to do X, Y, and Z in our world. And we have a, a plan of how he, we want him to do X, Y, and Z. How, how many know you good planners, right? You want things done well and you want things to go well for you and your friends. And, and we got ideas about how we want God to handle some things. We got some ideas about how we want God to handle some people as a mighty God in our world, you know, maybe, maybe it's a boss or, or a friend, but here, here's what I, I want us to do. I want us to just think a little bit bigger today. When we think about this mighty God, what exactly did he do with this enormous strength? What did he do with his might? Well, when we look at scripture, we can notice that he didn't do whatever he wanted. In fact, he wasn't reckless with his might. He wasn't reckless with his power. He never abused his power. He never forced anybody to serve him. He just said, hey, you can be for me or you can be against me. He just, he threw it out there like that. And, and if he didn't do any of these things with his might, well, then what did he do? I, I want to just talk about real briefly today that the two, what I consider most significant things the mighty God could have ever done for you and I. And the first thing I noticed is this in your notes. He conquered sin with his might. Man, when I look at scripture and I see the mighty God, he could have done a lot of things. And honestly, there's a lot of things that you can do for yourself, but there's one thing that you cannot do for yourself, and that is conquer sin. And it's so crazy because Jesus came as a, as a perfect man and, and, and a, a perfect human being, but also fully God. And, and he never sinned a day in his life, but he came to conquer sin for you. So he actually came and he lived at us. And, and, it, and it's so crazy that his, his, the first thing on his mind is not your financial struggle. The first thing on his mind really is not your difficult marriage. It's not your annoying boss and, and it's not the broken government. The first thing on his mind is the sinfulness of humanity. And he knows that you and I cannot take care of sin on our own. So he did it for us. And here's the crazy thing is this might not be the kind of message you expected to hear coming on a, a joyful Christmas day with everyone dressed and 
and flocked Christmas trees in the background. That we're talking about sin, but it's the craziest thing when you think about Christmas. How can you not talk about what the mighty God did when he came? You know, the older I get, it's so funny, I keep saying that. I'm really not that old, by the way. I'm not, I'm not even 50 yet. I'm like extremely young. But the older I get, the, the more I recognize my own humanity and the more I recognize my need for a mighty God in my life, the more I recognize my inability to overcome sin on my own. In fact, I've never been good at it. And I never will. And I need a mighty God to overcome it for me. You know, Romans 3.23 says, everybody has sinned. Everybody has fallen short of God's glorious standard. You know, what is sin? Sin is just simply this. It means to miss the mark of God's standard. You know, sometimes you think, well, sin is doing X, Y, and Z, and A, B, C, and D. And, and sure, that, that is the result or the fruit of sin. But ultimately, it's to, to miss God's perfect standard in, in every single way, not just in action, but in heart and deed. And in other words, think about it like this. God is perfectly humble and you are not. <laughs> Neither am I. God is perfectly pure in all things. And you and I, we're not at all. And, and God is, he's perfectly selfless and we're not. Rather, we're, we're prideful and, and our desires are out of control. We could never have enough. And and we're, we're selfish, always making sure to take care of ourself. And, 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 and these are the ways that, that we have sinned and we've fallen short. And, and I don't know about you, but I need his grace daily and I miss the mark daily. And, and when it comes to paying the penalty for my sin, there's just, there's no way I could do it. And, and I just want you to think about this for a moment, especially when, when you talk about sin in the church. And sometimes everyone, you know, we, we would look at our life and we would start feeling guilty and shameful. And, and, and honestly, you know, when we feel bad about our sin, that's just the Holy Spirit saying, you weren't made for that, baby. It feels so yucky to you because you just, you weren't created to function that way. You weren't created to, to actually have that in your life. I created you differently. But here's what I want you to think about when we think about sin for a moment. Don't just think about how you miss the mark, but I want you to think about it from God's perspective. See, God desired for you to live in a perfect environment with no sin, including your own, but people around you. God wanted you to be cared for perfectly by humans who are humble, by humans who are looking out for you, humans who are, are going to love you, humans that got your best interests in mind. See, it's not just about you and your sin. It's about, it's, about, it's about all of his people. It's about his creation. In fact, there was a garden in scripture that we see that was like this, this utopia, this beautiful place with no sin at all. And in fact, God desired us to live in a world like that. And, you know, here's the bad news is that sin is a part of the world. You know, I can remember um, when Ellie was a, a little toddler, uh, Ellie was like, Ellie loved life. She had no desire to hurry on with the physical feats of the world. She didn't really care about rolling over. She didn't care about walking all that much and running and all the things. She just, she just loved being with people. She loved just laying there and us staring at her and talking. And she, you know, if you like hang out with her today, like she's one of the most engaging young people of all time. And she'll just sit and talk with you and, and talk and 
and talk more and just share. Like as long as you want to like hang out, she's with you and she's going to be interested in your life. Well, anyways, this little girl, um, because of that, you know, she was just kind of real light on her feet. And we were at the pool one day hanging out and it was like a toddler pool. It was, it was you know, it was really shallow, maybe a foot and a half or whatever. And, and knowing how Ellie is, you know, she's like barely able to hold her little toddler body up and just kind of bobbing around. I knew that like you just, you know, put her in the water and she's just going to have a hard time even standing in this pool. So her nieces and nephew take her out to the pool and they're like, they're hanging out. This is in Burleson and, and she's standing there and, you know, moms are chilling. They're like, relax, you know, Auntie Amber and mom. And I'm just like, where's Ellie? You know, like, sh- and Ellie's out there with her older cousin. So like, why am I so paranoid? Because I know my daughter, you know, I know she can't swim. And so the second the girls, like, they just turned away for a second. I mean, Ellie's just like, she's trying to jump and be like a big girl. Next thing I know, it, you know, the girls turn their eyes and Ellie, like, does what no parent, you know, wants to see. You know, Ellie, like, jumps up and then, like, boom. It's like she's sitting in this toddler pool and she can't manage her weight very well and she can't figure out how to roll over and stand up. And I'm talking, like, she had no skill to save herself. She was, at, she, was she would have drowned. And so what did, what did good papa do? I mean, I'm talking, y'all, in the twinkling of an eye. I mean, before, the girls were only like a foot away from her. For me, it felt like they were like 10 yards away. The girls were right there. Before the girls could even notice what was happening, man, I had like took one gigantic, I was in a lounge chair laying down with one leap, one leg. I hurled like 10 lounge chairs. My other foot was like in the water before we knew it. And I'm like pulling her out of, out of the water. Like, and everyone's just like, what's happening? Ellie was like, life was taken over her and the water was taken over her, and she, she could do nothing to save herself. And that's what sin is like for you and I. Like, we can do nothing to save ourselves. And Jesus came and he conquered sin for you and I. That's part of the good news of this story. And how did he do it? Well, Colossians 2, 14, you can check it out on the screen. Paul says this, that, that he canceled the record of charges against us. See, when we sin, we have to pay a penalty. How many know, you know, you and I, we have a sense of justice. How many know when somebody does wrong, right? You're grounded, you know, somebody does wrong, you know, no snacks for you, right? Somebody does wrong, it's going to cost you a $250 ticket. That's probably a cheap ticket these days. I haven't got one in a while. Ask my wife. She could tell you exactly how much they are. Um, But just joking. She hasn't gotten a ticket in a long time. I have no idea. Although Ellie told me the other day while we were driving, she's like, you know, dad, I've never gotten a ticket with you. It's really strange though, because like you drive really fast, but I've only gotten a ticket with mom and Amy. That's Amy Gonzalez, by the way. She goes, she goes, Amy was actually driving our car. I'm not sure how that works, but, um, you know, anyways, so, um, so he canceled the charges against us. And how did he do it? He did it by nailing the charges to the cross. See, we have a, a justice in our heart that, that something should be done for the wrong that's committed. And it's just because we're God-like. That's how God is too. But God is different from you and I. We're like, they've got to pay. And you know what God says? I'm going to pay. Yeah. I'm going to pay for you. It's so backwards. It makes no sense to us because we feel like people don't learn unless they pay. <laughs> At least I do. That's so I feel. And God's like, No. They, they couldn't afford to pay. And what does is, what is the mighty God do next? He, he says this. He doesn't stop there. He doesn't just cancel the charges 
by nailing his son to the cross, but it says in verse 15, in this way he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authority. How many know that, um, that you need somebody to disarm the enemy over your life because he just, he will never quit. He, he will never stop and, and, and we're, not, we're not strong enough to handle it. And, and then scripture goes on, it says this, he shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. When Jesus rose from the grave, it, it just publicly humiliated the enemy. How many know that when, when somebody wants to get after you, sometimes the best way is to get after your kids, right? And try to mess their kids up. And Satan, I can only imagine, was so angry when he couldn't get at you and couldn't penalize you for eternity. I, I know he wanted to get at God, and the best way to do that was to mess with his creation, but he was humiliated and he was shamed as Jesus rose from the grave, and he, he stood and he appeared and revealed himself in resurrection form because that simply meant this, that he overcame the enemy, and he knew that that God is a benevolent God and that he would share that new life, that new resurrection life with his people. See, we're talking about the mighty God. What did he do with his mind? He could have done anything. He could have destroyed us along with Satan because of our disobedience, but he did not. Rather than destroying us, he conquered sin with his might. The second thing I see that he did is not only did he conquer it, now, because he conquered it, he offers salvation with his might to you and I. See, how many know that a king cannot give something that he does not possess? See, in order for a king to give freedom to or benevolence and kindness and riches to a people, he has to possess it. And, and so he went and, and he, he possessed eternal life for all of humanity. He went and paid the price for it. He captured it because it's, it's his and it is in his hands. And he turned around and, and he wanted to offer it to you and I. You know, I think of all the things that the mighty God could have done. I think these are the two most significant things that he could do for you and I. Because, friend, I want to tell you this, that if you don't have Jesus in your life and your relationship with him is not set in stone, you know, it doesn't matter how many counseling sessions you go to. It doesn't matter how many financial budgeting classes you go to and how many smart doctors you find to help heal you. Those things are truthfully the least of our issues. See, nobody is mighty enough to save except our mighty God. And it reminds me of Romans 6.23. In fact, it says this. It says, the wages of sin is death. And that is why, right there, this is the biggest issue of our life. It's, see, our, our marriage is not going to cause eternal death for us. Our broken finances will not determine our uh, our eternal location. But in fact, what is happening in our spirit man, our spirit person, the wages of sin will kill us on into not just this life, but into eternity. And that's the bad news. And, and we have to talk about the bad news if we're ever going to get to the good news. I mean, you can never know how good good news is until you know how bad bad news is. And, and here's the good news. It says, but, somebody say, but, the free gift, somebody say free. free. The free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. Free means this, it doesn't cost you a penny. Why? Because you couldn't pay for it anyways. <laughs> and it's free, why? Because you get to freely choose it. He doesn't control you and manipulate you and force you to serve him. It's, it's literally a free gift. He just is saying, hey, I don't want you to suffer in eternity without me. I want you to live with me. 
but it's up to you. It, it is your choice. You, you can be with me or you cannot. And I just want you to know that life is much better with me. See, in God's mighty power, he offers us salvation to live the life he intended for us from the very beginning. You know, um, God never wanted anybody to wander around as a spiritual orphan with no heavenly father. In fact, he wanted you to be a son and a daughter of the kingdom. He never desired that for you. In fact, you weren't made to live that way. It's just like children today. A child needs a parent. Somebody cannot be raised as a human without a parent. They need somebody to love them. They need someone to care for them. They need somebody to show them, someone to example for them. Some, it, it's so interesting, but a child can be, can be born in, in, in the system, in a group home, and be completely broken. But you put that child in a house with love. Love heals the heart of a soul like nothing else on this planet. Just love, that's it. And God never desired and designed us to live outside of his love. In fact, he desired us to live inside his love, and it's in his love that your heart is healed, that peace is brought to you, that counsel is given, that everything you need in this life is provided for you. You know, for those who choose not to welcome him in, they will continue to live apart from his presence here on this earth, but, but I want to tell you, it's actually much, much worse in eternity to live apart from his presence. And here's why. Do you realize that the, the saved and the unsaved, the believers and the unbelievers, every human on this planet experiences the presence of God every day? Did you know that? Every day, the powerful, mighty, kind presence of God every day. You might not think about it, but, but I, I want to let you know that that people get to, to rub shoulders with you at work. And you're the temple of God. They get to experience his presence. They, they get to experience his love through you and his kindness. And I don't know if you know this, but especially, you know, during November giving and, and the holidays, I mean, the local church, when it comes to nonprofit giving around the world, gives superbly more than any sector on the planet. And so compassion is just being poured out all over the world to hungry, to, to hurting, to, to frighten people. The, the presence of God is just like a blanket, just being blasted through the world, through, through the nonprofit love of the local church. Have you ever thought about that before? I mean, God's doing amazing. In fact, God actually takes this incredibly powerful uh, cosmic universe and brings it to order so that we can have day and night and have seasons and, and people get to live in the presence of God where it would be chaos without him. They get to live with order. And see, when you think about what it's like to live without God in your life, I just want you to imagine eternity for a moment separated from the presence of God. Did you realize everything unravels? Some people might think, oh, I don't have God in my life right now. What's, what's my eternity without him? It's not gonna be any different. No, whatever, I can deal with it. Life will unravel 
It's the grace of God that you breathe every day. Can you imagine getting up every day and eternally struggling for every breath? Because just chaos has truly entered. His order is gone. How he governs and how he makes the world turn and how oxygen sits just right and how the world turns right to keep you on the ground. I mean, can you imagine utter chaos being released in eternity because the love of God is gone, the peace of God is gone, the benevolence of God is gone, the kingdom of God is gone. There's, there's no little Christian down the street that you can knock on their door and ask them to pray for you. No, the presence of God is gone. God didn't want it that way. He said through Isaiah, oh, somebody's coming for really dark days. Not just dark days here, but dark days in eternity. And he's called the mighty God. I want to invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes today. You know, today, if the mighty God is not the Lord and Savior of your life, I just, I want you to know today that that thousands of years ago, 2,700 years ago about the prophet Isaiah prophesied this news and 700 years later, Jesus came and, and then here we are 2,000 plus years later sitting on, on the other side of the cross, sitting on the other side of history and, and the news is still for you. He, he's saying, I don't want you to, to live on this life or in eternity without me. In fact, I want to be your mighty God and, and I want you to know the only way I can remain your mighty God on this planet and into eternity is if you allow me to pay for the penalty of your sin. Do for you what you cannot do on your own today. And I just want you to know, friends, today, the way that he becomes your mighty God is, is, is really simple. It's just by surrendering. You know, we already said a moment ago that it's a free gift. In other words, you don't have to do anything to receive it. All you, all you have to do is just humbly bow down and, and lay your, proud down, your pride down and say, God, I receive what you have for me. God, I've been trying to be my own mighty God. I've been trying to, to do life my own way and to live life my own way. And I'm not doing a really good job. And as I look down the road, I, I see that, that I have to be able to overcome sin and I can't. No matter how hard I try, it's impossible. And when you come to that realization, God is like, okay, good, there you are. Can you let me be my mighty God? And if that's you in the room today and you've never made him your personal Lord and Savior, I just, I want to just invite you briefly just to say, Sean, I'm ready to invite him into my life today. And if that's you, I'm just going to invite you to slip your hand up and down just long enough so I could see it. Thank you in the front row. Anybody else in this room, he's not my mighty God and I, I want him to be my Lord and Savior, my mighty God. I surrender my life to him. Anybody in the room like that, just slip your hand up and down. We're not going to embarrass anybody, make you walk down the aisles or anything. Just invite you to hand up or down. I want him to be my mighty God. We had somebody in the front row raise their hand and, and I'm just going to invite everybody to pray this prayer together and, and just as a declaration, as a church family, um, as this gentleman um, has surrendered his life to God, I want you to know that this prayer is not what saves you. It's just a way for you to express what has taken place in your heart. Can we pray this prayer together? Dear God, I thank you that over 2,000 years ago, you sent a mighty God in swaddling clothes to pay the price for my sin your precious son. And I'm so grateful because I recognize that I am no match for sin. I will lose every time. And I thank you for a kind savior 
who died on the cross in my place and as me. And I receive your life today. And I want to live for you in Jesus' name. Somebody say amen. Say amen. Well, here's what I would like you to do. I'm going to invite everyone to stand on your feet today. We're going to kind of close this service out in, in a song. And, and I just I want you to have something in mind during the song. You know, when we first started the message out, I, I, I told you that the Lord was going to speak to you today. And, and I don't know what he said to you. O- only you know that. You, you know where he's tugged on your heart. And, you know, it, it's funny. There's a lot of believers in here today. And, and I know that as I, I look around the room and you kind of wonder, well, what are we going to do with a, a message about a mighty God who paid for my sin and offered me salvation? I, I've already done that. Well, um, let's just take a moment for you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And, and I just want you to think about some of the places that you're, you're holding on to with a tight grip. As you, you're not allowing him to rule that part of your life. See, he said, I want to be your mighty God. And all he asks of you is just to make room, make room for me in that place. And, and I don't say this to make you feel bad. And the funny thing about humans, sometimes the, the more difficult something is for us, the harder we put our hands around it and the more grip we try to take on it. And the more grip we put on something, the less room there is for a mighty God. And, and some of you, you're still trying to fight some battles and you haven't let go. You haven't said, here, mighty God. Some of you, you want to choose who gets mercy and who gets judgment. And there are some, some people in your world that you're holding on to with a tight grip because you're going, oh, I can't release that. I'm not going to release them. They, they need to pay. They need to understand what they did. They need to understand how they offended me. They need to understand how they... They hurt me. And see, when we do that, we don't make room for him. And he, he just wants you to just let go of that too and make room. You know, there's some people perhaps that, that you don't think are worthy of forgiveness. And you're, you're holding on to them for dear life, going, I need to hear the words I'm sorry because I, I can't forgive you until you give that to me. And see, when we try to control and govern, he wants to come and be the mighty God of everything, including the things that we have our hands on. So today, I don't know what you have your hands on, but today he wants to invite you to let go.